Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. That's right, Joel. This is our Ask How to Money episode where we are going to answer five questions, uh, including one about medical tourism. I'm really excited to, to take that one. We've got a question about open enrollment, which is also on a lot of people's minds these days, and another about investing locally and our thoughts on that, uh, maybe how to go about that, some ways to think about it, plus a couple other questions. There we go. Let's get to it in just a second. But before we hit up those questions, Matt, I wanted to mention... Uh, that I went on a hike recently when t I took my family up to Chattanooga, which is a lovely uh, place, lovely little town about an hour and a half outside of Atlanta. And one of my friends recommended this cool waterfall hike. And I was like, okay, sweet. Yeah, th this will be great. He said it was good. We have got a toddler. Even he can handle it. And he was able to. It was a really fun hike. And waterfalls are the best. Like, what's better than a good waterfall selfie? Very well. 
not the selfie as much as <laughs> <laughs> for me. I like actually. So in the summertime, when you can go swimming, actually swimming at the base of a waterfall, like in the pool, like that's I feel like what you can't beat. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fun. And there was this that like calls little... me back to the wild when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> there was this little pool up top, and we did like wade in and play around. That was that was a lot of well, no, fun. No, not at the top, at the bottom. Well, like, it was kind of one of those like it, it, you know some waterfalls they're not like perfect in their okay. nature, so <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that. But uh, you, if you know, play around in the pool at the top of the waterfall. You always got to be careful. Well, yes. No, there was over. a there was a place where you could do it safely <laughs> but yeah so I, I was i found it interesting though right before we went there was a one star review of this trail and overall the reviews were like i don't know so 4.7 4.8 stars most people were like this is great or this is really good yeah. <laughs> and one person was like this trail stinks because there was a tree down <laughs> and i had to hop over it and it was a big pain and it just what struck me in bathrooms weren't outfitted very well uh no snack bar <laughs> right it's like yeah. wait a minute is this a person that just doesn't like the outdoors that, that was kind of my thoughts and Maybe i was like so. i was also kind of thinking that your perspective your outlook is kind of key it has a lot to do with everything and so if you're going to an outdoor nature trail you're hiking a mile and a half to get to this cool waterfall that you, you know where you can wade in the pool <laughs> and play around and you're deterred by a tree that fell down in the middle of the path then maybe this isn't your style. Like maybe this isn't your jam, but it just made me think there's so many things in life that uh, really our outlook is key. It can really make or break the experience that we have in so many facets of our lives. And so, yeah, I kind of chuckled when I read that, but I was also like, man, there's like a metaphor here for the person who's willing to leave a one-star review for this like dope waterfall trail. Yeah, honestly, dude, this you know reminds me of the fact that I kind of have a love-hate relationship when it comes to different review sites and the ability for folks to provide in. Uh, feedback, uh, some input when it comes to certain things like trails and even beers, right? Like I really appreciate the fact that I can look up a beer on Untapped and see just overall what uh, what kind of rating it gets. Certainly, there are going to be some haters out there, but like, what are your thoughts just in general with like uh, the ability to rate things? Well, I think when we leave our opinions online, we're more likely to be unfiltered and rude. <laughs> I think oh, that's what the comment section is on the internet. Or we're, we're maybe more willing to like bash something than we otherwise would be. I think if someone asked uh, this reviewer after the hike, hey, how's the hike? She, she or he might have been like, yeah, it was it was fun. We saw a cool waterfall. Uh, but, but then they leave the review and they're like, one star. It was the worst day ever. And so, I don't know. The, the, the online review space is an interesting one. I think you have to take those reviews with a grain of salt. And you have to read enough to get a, 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 an accurate picture. A, exactly. Yeah, overall. Because <laughs> if you read two or three, you, you might get the people that were either just like, they're happy about everything. And that's cool. But yeah, uh, yeah if you read the negative Nellies, it can completely taint your view of something that might end up being good for you or working out for you. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, for you and I, we do read the reviews for our podcast and it helps us to be able to make small little tweaks here and there, but we're not going to just let a single bad review take us down, right? It's somebody that's like, oh, don't like beer. Podcast, <laughs> not for me. It's just like, well, that's certainly a part of our podcast, but we like to talk about a lot of other financially related things as well. And you know what? A recent review said, I don't really like craft beer, but I still love this podcast. And those, those are the kind of reviews I like. <laughs> exactly. So, well, on that note, let's uh, share that on this episode, you and I are going to enjoy a schmoogee box 
and you heard me say that correctly. We'll talk more about this beer <laughs> by uh, Imprint Beer Company at the end of this episode. No doubt. Let's get on to the listener questions, though. And if you have a question you want to ask Matt and I, and you want us to answer it on an upcoming Ask HTM episode, just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions there for you to submit your voice memo, and hopefully we can take your question on the next Ask HTM episode. All right, Matt, this first question, though, is about medical tourism. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name is Nicole, and I'm from North Carolina. I'm an avid listener, and I'm hoping you can help me out with this question. I'll be traveling next month to Costa Rica for some medical procedures. I'm able to pay at the time of service, and the surgeon is requesting cash or cashier's check. I can use my credit card, but that would also add 5% onto the cost of surgery. Should I carry cash or cashier's check or be safe and use my credit card? Thank you so much, and I appreciate all of your thoughts. All right, Nicole, thanks for your question. And first of all, medical tourism, totally underrated. Speaking of uh, (laughs) the ability to rate things, underrated, underutilized. Uh, We feel that going elsewhere makes sense for a lot of folks. That's where I'm uh, going for my bicep implants, (laughs) Matt. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you were more into the uh, calf implants, right? <laughs> Maybe next time. Um, we, we feel this makes sense because of just where health prices have gone here in the U.S. They have taken off. And the Medical Tourism Association, uh, they say that you can save up to 90% by taking advantage of medical tourism. So that is a lot of money when procedures can cost uh, in the tens of thousands of dollars, even more than that. But most folks will see savings uh, you know, in the 50 to 70% range. Recently, we had Marshall Allen on, and uh, we actually didn't discuss medical tourism all that much, but he actually mentioned the best healthcare experience of his life uh, and, and how that was actually in Kenya, uh, not here in the U.S. And so, yeah, getting certain procedures done in other countries can make a lot of sense. It can save you a lot of money and allow you to get a bit of maybe a little bit of vacation time in at the same time. And so the CDC, they actually have a solid overview that we'll link to in our show notes, but that can provide you with some more information. But all that to say, it is important to, you know, to mention that medical tourism does come with risks uh, and you want to make sure that you keep those in mind. And again, refer to that briefing by the CDC. Yeah. And you want to make sure you're keeping your doctor here in the States informed about what you're up to. That's an important piece of the puzzle too. And, you know, Nicole, We'll get to your question in just one second, but I want to mention that Costa Rica, where Nicole is going, Matt, is quickly becoming one of those top countries, one of the biggest destinations in the world when it comes to medical tourism. You know, Mexico uh, is becoming a popular destination for people to get dental work. Might have to go down, go down there soon myself <laughs> <laughs> if I keep delaying go to the, going to the dentist. I forget the actual name of the town, but there's a town in Mexico that everyone refers to as Molar City because oh, that's, so funny. <laughs> that's where people go to get like yeah their their crowns put in or whatever they get. They get uh, they head down there. It's like right across the border, and they you know, get their dental work done. Come on back. Uh, Hungary apparently is another one of those countries where there's just a lot of uh, medical tourism and, and dental tourism too. But that's a little bit further away. I can't imagine many how to money listeners going to Hungary for their healthcare. You never uh, know. But yeah, th- interestingly enough, the customer care is often superior in these locations too. You might even have your own private nurse, whereas some of the U.S. hospitals might be a little more short-staffed. You you might get better attention actually by going overseas for your care. And yeah, basically, if you're looking to travel to have medical work done, here's the thing. You don't want to go just anywhere. I think that's what freaks people out. That's why so many people don't go is because you just assume, and in many cases, rightly so, that the United States has the best healthcare in the world. But um, there are ways to vet 
a medical facility in a foreign country before you book that surgery or dental work. And the thing you want to make sure is that it's accredited uh, that facility with the Joint Commission International. And that is, it goes a long way towards being able to know that the doctor and the facility have a reputation that you can trust uh, because this commission vets providers based on world health standards. So what they're saying is, hey, does this facility in Costa Rica, does this dental center in Mexico, do they meet standards that we would say are sufficient for quality care? Um, And if they have that stamp of approval, I would feel totally comfortable going and having my medical care taken care of there. That's right. But let's go ahead and get to the uh, the core of Nicole's question, which is how should she be paying for this procedure? Well, first of all, we'll say that we're not huge fans of her first option, which is paying cash. However, if there's an ATM on site where she can withdraw cash, uh, that's going to make that option a little more appealing. Uh, but for instance, if she has to withdraw, you know, money at an airport ATM and then travel with it, well, that's a little less appealing as a single individual traveling alone in a foreign country. But either way, check your debit card foreign transaction fees first before you make any cash withdrawals. A cashier's check that you mentioned there, Nicole, that's going to solve some of these problems. Uh, but it's also worth asking if you could use a service like wise.com. Uh, used to be called TransferWise, now they're called Wise, to transfer funds to them instead. Uh, Both cashier's checks and digital transfers are both really cheap ways to make that payment internationally. But neither of them offers the protection that you would get with a credit card, which is why both of those options, all, all those options are going to be a little inferior, in our opinion, than using a credit card. That's true, Matt. And you mentioned getting cash out of an ATM, which is the way you're going to pay the least in like currency fees. Because like, let's say uh, Nicole were to go somewhere in the United States and get that, get that uh, the colones, which is the Costa Rican currency, get that ahead of time. Well, let's say you went to your bank or something nearby you're going to pay a higher exchange rate to do it there than you are going to pay just uh, you know snagging money out of the ATM at the airport. But yeah, it, let's talk about credit cards. Since your surgeon does accept credit cards, this is uh, probably the best option for you. And you mentioned paying 5% more. Well, to pay 5% more for peace of mind isn't that bad. But here's the thing. You actually won't be paying 5% more if you pay with a card that has top-notch rewards and zero foreign transaction fees. And in fact, if you sign up for a new credit card before you go on your trip, this procedure alone that you're having done could help you hit a spending limit in order to snag a sign-up bonus, uh, maybe like the the Chase Sapphire card with $1,250 cash back right now, which is still the richest sign-up bonus we've seen from Chase. And uh, yeah, let's say- uh, Or from- any card issue. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the best one we've really ever seen. And let's say, uh, for instance, Nicole, that your procedure cost $4,000. You would end up paying a $200 fee. Yes. but And everyone knows, Matt and I, we don't like fees. So why would we tell you to do this? Well, you would still come out over $1,000 on top because of that sign-up bonus you would get from getting that new Chase card. And yeah, you'll probably feel a lot more comfortable not carrying bukus of foreign currency on your person as you're navigating the airport and uh, transportation to and from the medical facility. I can understand how it would make you feel uncomfortable. And so, yeah, we would say in this case, the fee probably makes sense and you can actually somehow make it work to your advantage. You can come out on top and pay the fee at the same time. Yeah, one other thing that's worth noting too is Nicole mentioned that 
she has the ability to pay for that procedure at the time of the procedure, which is really important because what we're not advocating for here is to use a credit card when you don't have the ability to pay for that in the here and now. True. Uh, and obviously the benefit is that you don't have to pay you know, right away with a credit card. You can wait until the end of the month uh, to close out that statement. But we don't want you to finance you know, any expenses. And that's regardless uh, as to whether or not those expenses take place here in the U.S. or in Costa Rica. True. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Joe, so uh, medical tourism, would you do it? Of course I would. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and actually, like I think, yeah, like we said, there's a lot to love about it. And especially yeah, if you look at the savings, if you see, if you get a couple quotes from doctors in your area and you're like, uh, yeah, that, this just is not going to work out. And you can save if the 70 or 80%. Enough, sure, yeah. yeah. And, well, and especially like we said, if you can get, you know, a few days <laughs> before the procedure to be able to enjoy yourself, you know, even including the cost of your airfare and hotel stay, potentially, if you're still able to save 40, 50%, make it happen. I, I love that. I would totally do it too. I, I would, again, like we said, I would be cautious. I would be careful. I would attempt to do it the right way and <laughs> making sure I'm getting high quality medical care, but I would totally do it. Yeah. I, I still can't shake the scene in uh, minority report where Tom Cruise's character, he's getting like uh, a double eye transplant, like in this <laughs> sketchy, nasty, like apartment building basically. <laughs> so that he's not like found out by the robots. Cause right. they, you know, they do the uh, eye scans or whatever. He like wakes up. He's like in a, I feel like he's like in a bathtub of like ice. It's just a bad, bad scene. <laughs> it gets really dark. And it had a really big impact on me as a kid thinking, I never want to wake up somewhere <laughs> where I'm not sure, you know, where I am or, or what has just happened to my body. Well, this is definitely one of those things where, you know, we, we give the frugal or cheap conundrum. But I think if you do it properly, it can be totally frugal. frugal. It can yeah. be a frugal move for sure. And yeah, best of luck to you, Nicole, with uh, these procedures that you're going to uh, make happen. All right. We got a couple more questions to get to, including one actually about credit cards and credit card limits. We'll get to that one first right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money 
I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back for the break, and we've got a question from a listener who is realizing that her mom may have been misinformed when it came to credit card limits. Let's hear it. Hey, Joel and Matt. My name is Julia, and I was just listening to episode 412 of the listener questions where one listener was asking about closing his credit card, and you both explained how having a lot of debt available to you actually is good for your credit score. And this brought up a question in my mind because I remember as a kid, my mom would always be ticked whenever she saw that her credit card limit would go up. And so I wanted to ask you, was she right in being ticked for some reason? Or was this just a false impression impression she had? Thanks. All right, Matt, we, we don't want to make Julia feel poorly about her mom. I'm sure her mom did a great job no, raising her. That's not anything we ever want anyone <laughs> to feel poorly Listen, towards the parents. Don't trust your parents, okay? That's what that's all I want to say here. No, uh, Julia, your mom, I'm sure, wonderful lady. But let's, there's a lot of people, Matt, that are misinformed about how credit scores work and what constitutes a good credit score. You know, when the credit card company offers you a credit limit increase, I could see why a lot of people would be like, I don't know. It sounds like you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. And that's understandable because it is kind of weird and convoluted how credit scores work sometimes. And yeah, Matt and I, neither of us, I don't think would vouch for the system and say that if you could start one from scratch, this is exactly the way we draw it up. No, but 
it is the one we've got yeah. for, for the time being. My system would have a lot more to do with money in the bank. Because, yeah. Because, I mean, that has like <laughs> basically no standing on, uh, on, on our credit scores, which is ridiculous. Well, we had a friend recently who was trying to apply for a mortgage, and he literally has multi-million dollar net worth but he, he's he's also retired early <laughs> and the bank says well what's your what's your income and he says i don't have one i don't have a job but i have millions of dollars in my <laughs> investment accounts over here and they're like yeah we don't really look at that uh when it comes yeah. to approving you for the mortgage so it, it gets a little silly and yeah for for most folks it, it really is it's kind of like turning on a sporting event from another country like uh let's say matt have you ever watched a, a cricket match before in your life no Although nearby, there is a park where there's a lot of uh, international students, uh, and they like to gather in that park. And I see them down there playing cricket. I have no idea how it works, though. Me neither. <laughs> like, I've always kind of wondered, because I kind of grew up watching baseball, and I'm like, how similar are they? Uh, but there's a lot of weird rules, and so I totally would not understand what's going on, and or at least they're weird from my estimation. But th- the same really is true for our credit system here in the U.S. And, and sadly, a lot of Americans are just not giving their credit scores um, the time of day and those who are paying attention may not even understand how they work since the rules are so incredibly muddy luckily they're not as muddy as whack bat which is the you remember that game from fantastic mr fox it's like it's oh, like similar yeah. <laughs> to cricket but just like even more <laughs> complicated and nonsensical still one of my favorite movies it's very it's very good uh and so you know julie it, it does sound like your mom was confused about the rules when it comes to uh, her credit score again that's that's understandable because it makes sense that having more debt offered to you would be a bad thing right uh but in the this convoluted world of credit scores, it's almost like this badge of honor. Uh, what the credit bureaus and uh, potential lenders want to see is that you have access to different types of credit while using very little of what's actually uh, available to you. It might be akin to someone advising you on your diet, and then they kind of test you by putting a box of donuts in front of you to see if you have the, the willpower, the self-control <laughs> to not eat any. It's kind of messed up. Uh, but that's actually kind of how it works when it comes to credit. It's like, hey, look at all of these things that are available to you. If you touch them, you're going to get punished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's exactly like that. And hopefully, yeah, your dietitian would not put a box of donuts in front of you and just you know see if you can resist. But but that's how it works in credit scores. That that reminds me of another movie of Dodgeball when uh, I think Ben, <laughs> ben Stiller's character is like giving himself an electric zap every time he eats a donut. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on. So let's talk about the main things that actually do make up your credit score. Credit utilization is the second biggest factor. That's really what we're talking about here. It's basically ideal to have a giant balance that you use very little of. And the the specific amount that you want to shoot for is to be using on a monthly basis 10% of the credit that you have available or less. And so let's say you do have a $25,000 uh, limit on your credit card using 2500 at most in a month is going to be ideal when it comes to your credit score. And yeah, the top factor though is whether you pay your bills on time and in full. And I guess that one actually does make sense, <laughs> even though the credit utilization is a bit convoluted. Uh, just those two factors alone though, they make up like two thirds of your score. And so if you're doing those two things well, if you are paying your bills on time and in full and you're using very little of that available credit, then your credit score is mostly going to be fine. The, uh, the other three things that impact you are your length of credit history, opening new credit, and uh, the mix of credit that you have. So having like a credit card and a mortgage and a student loan, basically the more different types of credit that like, you have. Oh, this have. guy has the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> his, his score really goes up when in reality it's like, well, 
I mean, is that the, a good reason to see your score go up? Right. Yeah, and the the number of credit cards you have, like that's going to be a good thing too. If you have five credit cards you that you handle well versus just one, that's going to work out better in your favor as well. But yeah, there's a lot of those factors, a lot of those things impacting ultimately that three-digit score you're going to see at the end of the day. But really, when it comes down to it, that increased credit limit is a really good thing. That's right. Uh, Julie, it's going to be good for your credit score. Uh, and it's not the way that we would have designed it, uh, but those are the rules. And so your mom and all of us actually should be excited next time the credit card company bumps up our credit limit. This actually happened to me recently. I got a new credit card for some specific spending that I won't get into just now. But uh, I, I was kind of bummed. we're all curious. <laughs> <laughs> it's a card specifically for going out to eat four times uh, the rewards on going out to eat. Okay. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about it soon because I'm going to have to update the uh, the different cards that I carry, carry in my wallet because I've gotten hyper specific with them. Okay. Uh, but I was bummed because initially my credit limit was only $1,200 and I thought that is... That's, I mean, that's that's not very high. <laughs> that's a very low limit. Did you uh, say, don't you know who I am? And it's not because I was going to spend $1,200 every single month on that card, but it's just because I wanted to steer clear of approaching, you know, any, anything near uh, 10% uh, of my overall credit limit. But a month later, you know, they saw that I was a big boy. Uh, they bumped that up <laughs> literally from $1,200 to $12,000. And I was like, okay, that puts me in a, a much more comfortable position. And so by default, this will make us look better from a, a credit perspective. But we all need to make sure that we're being disciplined enough to uh, not let that increased limit affect how much we are going to actually spend. Uh, just because the credit card company says that you now have access to, you know, $20,000 instead of $200. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you should use it. Uh, and Julie, in your case, maybe your mom was incredibly wise and she was focusing on the discipline side of things, right? She knew that, oh, with that increased limit, that might be tempting her to spend money when she shouldn't have. Uh, so maybe in the end, your mom had it right. Maybe she actually knew uh, that that was going to be a bad thing for her personally. Oftentimes it does come down to knowing ourselves and, and how it is that we are going to respond to different changes in our finances like that. All right now, now you made me feel bad for calling out Julia's mom. And also, uh, positive spin, that's yeah, all. No, that's good. And now I feel bad and I'm sorry. I apologize to Julia's mom. <laughs> Sorry, Julia's mom. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Julia, hopefully that answers your question. And, and Matt, I think that is a good point because sometimes that, that behavioral side, we talk about it a lot, that behavioral side of money has a huge impact on us. And if someone says, hey, out of the blue, guess what? You have an extra $10,000 you can spend if you want to. A lot of people, that's how people get into trouble. A yeah, lot of people exactly. do take advantage of it. And so it, yeah, it is right and important to mention that. But let's get to our next question, Matt. And this one is about investing where you live. Hi, Joel. Hi, Matt. Brandon from Portland, Oregon here. Love the show, especially how you and your guests are so mindful about building financial literacy. My question for you is how can those of us without deep pockets invest in businesses that are not publicly traded? Knowing this may be hard to do within a retirement account, how can I put taxable investment dollars to work investing in the expansion of the neighborhood brewery or growth of our favorite local condiment maker? If you had $5,000 to invest locally, where would you start? Thanks. All right, Brandon, thanks for that question. And we appreciate you listening. And thanks, too, for that note about financial literacy. We, we definitely want to make sure that folks with normal lives, normal incomes, uh, are, are not only increasing their levels of financial literacy, but, but we're also on a mission uh, to make sure that everyone out there is aware that they can achieve the ultimate goal of financial freedom. We want to consistently make it clear that you don't need super deep pockets in order to build wealth. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's what turns a lot of people off from investing advice, from money advice in general, is they're like, I don't have enough money to listen to that. But that's not true. <laughs> you can be fresh out of college, making it, you know, your first job. You can be in high school still, trying to learn the ropes. Um, there is, I hopefully, someone of every age and money background can learn and apply the concepts we talk about here at How to Money. That's the goal, at least. Uh, but let's get on to Brandon's question about investing locally. Matt, this is a toughie. And first, it, it often involves taking on a lot more risk to invest in just one company near where you live. It can involve locking up your money for a lot longer than you might be comfortable with if you're going to invest in a local business. And let's take the example that Brandon mentioned of investing in a local brewery. Which, which is a great example, by the way, right? <laughs> it is. It's one of the perfect examples. He's not, asking the right guys. Not just because we love beer, but <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, like, I have a friend actually who started a brewery and he took on investors. His brewery is open now. And his beers are excellent. and Some of the best in Atlanta. Exactly. And yeah, my guess is that those investors will see a return at some point, which is great. But they're going to have to be patient. And if I remember correctly, the minimum that you could come to the table with was $25,000, right? That's a, a lot of money, and that's a lot of eggs in one basket. Most people, like, yeah. they'd have to you know, write it off immediately. I don't have that kind of money, but other people who do would still be reticent, understandably, to put that much in one local business. I personally didn't feel financially ready for it at the time, even though I had this huge desire to see him launch and become successful. And now that he is doing crushing it, like it brings me a lot of joy. Um, but still, I think I made the right decision because that's a big risk that I would have been taking on. Yeah, our friend, uh, the physician on fire, he wrote a great article about uh, investing $10,000 in a local brewery specifically as well. He went into it knowing that this was <laughs> probably going to be a bad investment, but he did it anyway. Uh, and actually, the, the literal title of that article is, I made a bad $10,000 investment. <laughs> so he really telegraphed it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knew what he was doing. Uh, we'll, we'll link to that one in the show notes. Uh, but he wanted to help fund a hometown brewery, and he had hopes of being able to drink delicious beer right around the corner from his house. Uh, and that hope for him was realized, but he didn't have high hopes of a solid return on his investment. Uh, any investment in a local uh, business, uh, especially a, a local brick and mortar business where there's a lot of overhead, especially if you're talking about a, a local business like a restaurant, these are all going to be higher risk ventures. And it is important to approach those, those quote unquote investments with that in mind. You need to go at it with that mindset. Okay. So here's what we would say, because we don't want to completely destroy Brandon's dreams of investing in awesome local companies. That was us just hedging the advice now that we're about to give. Exactly. <laughs> like, listen, it's probably not going to work out and there's a good chance you could lose all your money. And it's too much. Don't do it. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> right. But if you're going to invest locally, only do so if you're already doing a great job investing in the other areas of your life. Specifically, if you've been doing well funneling money into tax advantage retirement accounts for a number of years, for quite a long time. If you've been building up a solid nest egg for your retirement inside of the number one place you should be doing that, then it can be more on your radar. And here's the thing, if you can't go into it with the mindset that our friend uh, Physician on Fire had, knowing that it's likely a bad investment and that there's a good chance that you won't see a return on that money, much less even being able to see a return of those initial dollars that you put in, then we would say it's too risky of a venture for you. It's 
kind of like putting money in cryptocurrency. It's not a bad idea to own just a little bit, but only if you're crushing it in the important areas first and you realize the severe risks that come alongside doing so. Yeah, you need to have your investment priorities in place. And Brandon, here's another piece of advice too. Then, you know, I feel like this is going to sound a little bit lame. I know it's probably not what you want to hear. But instead of investing in that business, hoping for growth, uh, invest your dollars in the products that the company makes. You know, for instance, you mentioned like local condiments. I have no idea what you're talking about there, but it sounds <laughs> kind of awesome. You can keep the uh, Heinz shaming ketchup. You keep that stuff stocked up in your fridge. And maybe send some my way too. That sounds delicious. <laughs> if it's like, and I bet this already exists, honestly, but I always like combining a little bit of ketchup with a little bit of sriracha. Oh, there you go. Sriracha on its own. It brings good heat, but I feel like there's not enough flavor in that ketchup. Brings enough uh, acidity, enough sweetness, enough saltiness. Uh, that's what I like personally. But it, this also makes me think of another kind of brewery-specific example, Brandon. Uh, one of our other local fra- favorite breweries, Monday Night Brewing, they had this special club that they called the Garage Club back in the day, where you paid a premium to be a special member with access to uh, different uh, limited-release beers. You get special merchandise, other goodies like that. It wasn't necessarily a deal, per se, uh, but those members and and that additional funding allowed them to offset the cost of experimenting on some of their newer, interesting beers, which was essentially the beginning of their barrel aging program, which, looking back now, I'm just like, oh man, that was pretty cool to have gotten in on the ground floor of. Uh, Granted, it wasn't nearly... $5,000, $5,000, it cost me a whole lot less money <laughs> to, to get involved with that. But the ability to participate, you know, kind of even on a more consumer level was really gratifying. And so we would encourage you to maybe even reach out to some of these local companies directly and see if they have any kind of program, like just something that you could participate in. And, you know, if maybe they don't, but if you and others, uh, if there are enough folks reaching out to them, that might be something that they prioritize and create. And that would allow you to participate on a more local level. But again, just like what Joel said, you need to make sure you've got all of your other investing basics taken care of first. You need to have your priorities in place. And no matter what, just like we, you know, like you said, Joel, with crypto, we wouldn't recommend you putting any more than 5% of your overall portfolio into a single company like this, because, uh, uh, you know, in our opinion, that is too much risk. So the immediate rule of thumb would be to say, if you're looking to invest five thousand, don't do it unless you have a hundred thousand dollars in net worth invested inside of retirement accounts. Boom. Yep. There you and go. If that's not the case, then you know, keep waiting, Brandon. But uh, eventually, hopefully, you're able to not just. Uh, enjoy the products that some of these local businesses make, but you're able to, in some way, uh, fund their business, which which would be awesome. I, I love that as a goal. It's just one of those things that can be really tricky, and it actually isn't very lucrative in many cases, too. It really has to be just done out of, out of love and care for your community, which I think is still a good reason to do it sure. if you're financially ready to do so. But uh, Matt, let's get to a couple more questions, including one about FSAs and then another one about HSAs. We'll hit both right after this break. (laughs) Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. 
That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pump for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house. Or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch. They make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back from the break. FSAs, HSAs, what do all the acronyms mean? Well, let's start with FSAs first. Hi, guys. Ronica from Denver here. With open enrollment coming soon, I'm wanting your thoughts about what to consider when enrolling in the Dependent Care FSA. My husband and I both have plans. I anticipate our household income for 2022 to be between $110,000 and $150,000, and our daycare expenses should be around $18,000 for one dependent. 
How do we make this decision without knowing what the law and limits will be for 2022? Ronica, that is a great question. And actually, open enrollment starts today for uh, on healthcare.gov for people around the country who are looking to sign up for a healthcare plan. So that's uh, worth noting. And most private employers actually start doing open enrollment really, really soon. And so there, there are just a lot of things to consider when you're in the open enrollment period. Matt and I would always suggest to run the numbers and don't make snap decisions. Matt, I always found it interesting talking to coworkers and they wanted to choose the one that had the lowest deductible. But it turns out that at the end of the year, your most people <laughs> were better served by sticking with the more high deductible plan. They were they were ultimately going to incur fewer out of pocket costs. And so, yeah, you, you have to know your own health history and kind of what you think you're going to spend on healthcare in the coming year. But it's really important not to just assume things and to actually think about it for a minute. Yeah, and the same is true when it comes to the uh, dependent care FSA uh, child care. It's not cheap, and Ronica, this is an expense that her and her husband are both going to be facing more of this coming year. But if you're spending that much money, uh, the good news is that a chunk of uh, you know that expense won't be taxed if you take full advantage of the FSA that you have access to. That's what you're talking about doing here, Ronica. And you know while the limits were temporarily doubled last year due to the pandemic, the New York Times is reporting that they'll be reverting back to the earlier limits, uh, the regular limits, which are five thousand dollars. And since you are looking at childcare costs in the eighteen thousand dollar range, this uh, certainly seems like a benefit that you will want to pounce on and, and take full advantage of and make sure that your household is able to maximize that at the $5,000 limit. And I know most of our listeners are astute and they know this, Matt, but it is important just to note that FSAs are different than HSAs. And we're actually going to take a question about HSAs after this. So we'll kind of get a, a chance to see the dichotomy sure. in, in this one segment. Well, quickly, I just realized we have not defined these acronyms. We never want to be the people who are out there throwing out all the abbreviations and acronyms without <laughs> making sure we just cover our bases and define them. But FSA stands for Flexible Spending Account. HSAs are for Health Savings Accounts. Proceed, Joel. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate you doing that. That's very important stuff. And you and I, we actually like both of these vehicles, but they have their pros and cons. So if you're in a high deductible health plan, then an HSA, it's great to have. And it's really about investing money for your future. Your goal is actually to not be taking money out of that account, even though you have the ability to do so for qualified health expenses. We'll get to more on that in the next question. But when it comes to your FSA, there are two different varieties. One, similar to an HSA, is for healthcare costs. But then the other, like Ronica's asking about, is for dependent care costs. It's for you know child care, the uh, costs that you're going to incur. And the great thing is uh, putting money into an FSA, it shields you from tax on that money if it is used in the proper way. And here's the thing, though, when it comes to the flexible spending accounts, you don't want to overfund these accounts and stick money in that you might not end up using. Because if you don't spend that money, it just goes up in smoke. It vanishes at the end of the year. Uh, you can usually roll over a certain amount of money. Uh, this year, you can roll over up to $1,000. Most years, it's closer to $500. And let, so let's say you, you think you're only going to need $2,000 worth of childcare expenses this coming year. Don't put in $5,000 just in case because that's a max limit. Not in an FSA. <laughs> uh, that That is a recipe for losing a good chunk of that money. But in Ronica's case, maxing that FSA out because she knows she's going to exceed that $5,000 anyway is the right thing to do. 
Yes, you definitely want to keep that in mind. Uh, you can roll over some to spend in the following year, but only a limited amount. And so this is actually a, a good reminder to anyone who still has money left in their FSA for this year. Uh, check and see how much of, uh, of that money that your employer is going to allow you to roll into your FSA for next year. Uh, make sure to do that. But then for all the rest of your money, make sure to spend it on eligible items that you can get reimbursed for. You can get some new glasses like I did fairly recently. You can stock up on Band-Aids for your kids. Uh, even Ancestry DNA kits qualify, which is pretty cool. You might want to go digging into your past a little bit and, <laughs> and, and see how British are you or are you actually Germanic or something. I don't know. I've never done it myself. But other things qualify too, like feminine hygiene products. That's something that they added last year. Or our favorite, you can always stock up on sunscreen for your next beach trip. That's one of those things that if you can catch it on sale, you can always spend so much less on that than you do you know at the grocery store actually at the beach yeah and if you're gonna lose that money anyway go ahead and stock up on sunscreen i usually buy it by the gallon just because uh <laughs> that's because you're white and pasty exactly that's <laughs> how much our family needs but ronica i hope that helps uh go ahead and max that out to the tune of 5k and yeah let's get to the next question though about uh, hsas matt and how you can use them most effectively hey this is caleb from cardisola georgia i've been listening to how to money for about a week or two now I'm currently maxing out my HSA through work. I was wondering, should I use those funds for my current medical expenses so I can build an emergency fund faster? Or should I just only use day HSA for investments at the time being and gradually build up my emergency savings? All right, thanks. All right, Caleb, thank you for being a new How to Money listener. And hopefully... You were listening to our answer to Ronica because we, we touched on this a little bit uh, when it came to talking about FSAs because no way should you use those HSA funds if it is at all possible to avoid it. We've talked uh, in depth about HSAs before and you can listen back to episode 105 where we really went point by point through HSAs and how it is we feel that you should use them. Uh, but basically, and, we re- and why everyone who has access should take full advantage. Oh, absolutely. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we feel that HSAs are even better than Roth IRAs for many folks. And that's because of the triple tax advantage that these accounts are eligible for. There are no other retirement accounts out there uh, that have it this good. You don't get taxed on the money that you contribute. You don't get taxed on the growth of that money, nor do you get taxed on the withdrawals when you take them out. And so, yeah, there truly is nothing better than uh, having a zero tax vehicle in which to grow your wealth. That's right. It's really one of a kind. I mean, th- there's there's almost nothing else out there where you can invest your money and make money tax-free. HSAs are kind of like a unicorn. <laughs> They've got a kind of unicorn status. But a unicorn say, with like three prongs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or three, <laughs> three horns instead of one. I was going to say, like, the other thing that comes to mind is live in flips. Uh, that's another oh, way yeah. to generate wealth without having to pay taxes. But the HSA, a lot more people are going to take advantage of that than they are you know, doing their own rental uh, work at their house and hopefully selling it down on the road to make money. But both of those are helpful from a tax standpoint. And yeah, the problem is that a lot of folks either forego contributing to their HSA altogether, that's not good, or even if they can and are contributing money to their HSA, they do it in the wrong way. Well, how can you do it wrong, you might ask? Well, by sticking that money in and taking it right back out to fund immediate healthcare expenses that pop up. 
Sure, you get that single one-time tax benefit now if you go that route, and that is a nice benefit. But the HSA is so powerful that if you instead invest the money inside of that HSA and you leave it to compound for decades and take it out way down the road, you're going to be way better off. And so just it's, it's important to note that this does involve a little bit of record keeping. You want to keep track of all your healthcare expenses in like a Google document, but it's totally worth it because it, it allows you to fully take advantage of what the HSA, uh, the benefit that it can provide. And Matt, you earlier you defined the terms HSA as a health savings account, but we have said it should oh, yeah. be for <laughs> anybody who cares about growing their money and growing their wealth, it should be called an HIA, mm-hmm. a health investment account, because that is how it's best used. And I think just that term, what it's called, actually leads people down the wrong path for how to use the HSA properly. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because, well, on that note, I mean, it's one thing to call it an HSA if you're thinking about like a health spending account, which doesn't exist. It's a health savings account account. But like you said, Joel, it needs to be a health investing account, truly, because the other way that you can use your HSA poorly is if you don't put those dollars to work by actually investing them. If you truly do treat it like a savings account and you're putting that money in there and it's sitting there as cash, if it's sitting there in those savings type options, then your HSA won't experience the growth that it otherwise could. Yeah. And the great thing is it can almost act like a secondary emergency fund over time because you can pull that money out willy-nilly if you have a qualified medical expense. Even if that medical expense happened five, ten years ago, you can say, you know what, I need the money now. But at least it's been growing for those five or ten years uh, until you actually do need it. That's right. But Caleb, hopefully that helps you out. And Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This one is called Schmoogie Box. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's by Imprint Beer Company. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? So before we hit record, you're just like, I feel like an idiot saying the name of this beer, <laughs> which is why I said it at the beginning of the episode, because I feel like I, a small child. <laughs> like, and, I, and I will say, we've talked about this before. I don't, box. I don't love the beer industry uh, going towards like Capri Sun sort of imagery, because I feel like that's um, a little... Is that what you feel like this is going towards? It's a towards? little lame. Yeah, okay. I don't like it. <laughs> well, basically, this is a fruited sour beer, uh, and it says on the side of it, Smoogee style ale. Which, what, what does that even mean? Like, they've got it listed out like we all know what that means. But this is a fruited sour ale. <laughs> it's a made-up word that they with, came up with. Yeah, it, it's got mango, passion fruit, key lime, and cheesecake. What were your thoughts on this beer, Joel? Okay, so the reason I picked it up was not because of the name or the branding, because I didn't really like either, but because the reviews of this beer, going back to what we talked about at <laughs> the very beginning <laughs> of the episode, they were great. And so I was like, this, all right, it's worth it. It's worth it because it was in the single section. I was like, let's give this one a shot. I'll say it was pretty good. But it didn't live up to those reviews that I read. And yeah, it, it, it had a, a very passion fruit heavy, had definitely some peach notes going on. And it did have like actually a little bit of like peach mouthfeel. There was almost like some pulp in there it tasted like to me. Oh, it definitely had. I mean, it was super thick. Yeah. Basically, like you got your servings of fruit when you drink this beer. <laughs> That's because, good to know. Uh, <laughs> I needed them today. It's like drinking some naked juice or <laughs> Oddweiler or something like that. That's true. Yeah, it totally had that kind of vibe going on. And the flavors, I would say, were, were good, but it was... I don't know. This isn't going to be one that I go back to well, anytime soon. Do you remember what the rating was on this one uh, in particular? I want to say it was like four and a half four on half? Untapped. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would give it four and a half, but it's really dang close. I actually, so I think I like this more than you do. Okay. I'm going to argue maybe that you were affected, uh, impacted by <laughs> the poor branding. Maybe the fact that you had to say schmoogey or, <laughs> or whatever. I'm judging the beer by its label. I'm but uh, here's here's a, something that I noted and it mentioned it on the side is that it has key lime in it. Um, and that sharpness, I think, is what maybe brought this beer around for me because if it was just those heavy sweet flavors of those more tropical dense fruits without the 
I don't know, sharp lime to cut through it. I felt like I, this beer would have maybe landed flat for me. But because it had that kind of crispness, that acidity, like it to me, it almost tasted like it had like ginger, fresh ginger in it. I had uh, like a fresh fancy fresh pressed juice recently that had ginger in it and this took me back to that morning when I was drinking that juice and it also claims having some cheesecake in there I feel like and so I think that added to the creaminess but it also kind of added a little bit of that kind of nuttiness that you get from like the cheese crate like a graham cracker crust a little bit as well so they kind of it made it seem more like not just a fruited sour but maybe one of those pastry sours as well which normally I'm not for but I actually could totally get on board with this one next time I see one of these on the shelf I I might actually grab one of these uh, myself maybe to share with Kate there you go All right. well you know what best friends can disagree from time to time different strokes for different folks man that's what they say duke it out after we're done (laughs) recording (laughs) just kidding All right. well uh, that's going to do it for this episode we love taking your listener questions and if anybody else out there listening says I've got an interesting oddball question to ask Matt and Joel on an upcoming Ask HTM episode We'd love to hear it. We do love the oddball ones. So go to our website at howtomoney.com slash ask, and you'll find the simple instructions to record and send us your voice memo, and we hope to take it really soon. That's right. And Joel, we talked about reviews a couple times now on this episode. And if you haven't left us a review, we would appreciate your honest feedback. Just don't be the guy leaving the (laughs) one-star review of like, oh, it's a podcast. They talk. Not for me. (laughs) Because that doesn't provide any... Sticking uh, to YouTube. ...helpful feedback for anybody. But were you to leave us a solid review, we would appreciate you. Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.